Jesus. I should probably introduce you. Being the host. You're not the host. You're the guest. Fine. You introduce it. No, you introduce it. No, but you don't know the name or the. Can you pass my water? Oh, you do it. Hello and welcome to the fourth instalment of Repeat Until Funny, the history podcast that tries to learn the lessons of the past. As promised, this podcast is going to be led not by me. Well, I might be trying to lead it from behind. <laughs> uh, but this podcast is going to be led by James. Yeah, listen, we've got your emails. <laughs> right. get, get him on head. Head podcast. Yeah, get Ollie off, get James <laughs> centre stage for uh, this one. And you are going to talk about? Uh, the Japanese, well, Japanese civil things. Good start. Good start. Let me just say, as I did in the first po- podcast with you, I asked you for your credentials. Mm. As you know, I'm a keen lover of Japanese crap. You're a Japanophile. What is the... Because a, a person who likes Chinese stuff is a Sinophile, mm. aren't they? Yeah. What is someone who likes Japanese stuff? Japanophile. Is that it? Yeah. Japanophile. Yeah. Well, it'd be Nihonophile if you're doing it in Japanese. So already, we're learning some facts already. Nihon. Ni, Nihon means Japanese in Japanese. Okay. So I think... Obviously, you're leading this, but I'm already trying to lead it. No, you go and ahead. Just, just through a little bit of background, tell us some... What, what is Japan? What is Japan? That's Where is Japan? First question to you. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. So I'm going to shut up now. <laughs> James, over to you. <laughs> uh, right, Ollie. When you think about Japan and specifically Japanese society, yeah. What are some key things that come up? Well, culturally and traditionally, I think of things like samurais mm-hmm. and karate and those headbands with the sort of red circle on the front. When you're studying, yeah. Yeah. Is that what? It, is that what they're for? Yeah. Oh, well, they're like um. Usually they have like gump up there, which means like go for it, go study hard. Yeah, you know I mean they put it on when they're studying, but it's like mainly when you're going into battle. And that. Yeah, I think of sort of geisha traditions, so that mm. style of dress, the if, kimono. If, if I was to um, bring it up to sort of modern day Japan, yeah, what what do you think about their society? Modern day Japan, I think. So are we talking like post Hiroshima? <laughs> Post watershed. Yeah, post World War Two. Uh, yeah, I, well, th- I just modern Japan. Modern Japan, I think, very technologically advanced, mm-hmm. quite deferential in terms of culture. So, the the idea that, as we've seen in the sort of response to coronavirus, they're very willing to take instruction from above. That kind of yes. Confucian. Yeah, that's that's, that, that's close to what I'm getting at. Because the main thing we're going to look at today is. Japan's three civil wars, collectivism, and the power of legends okay. in Japanese history. Because yeah. it's strange, isn't it? Because they put up, in these wars, they put up these legends, mm. in, um, so they'd make up like stories about them, and they're sung throughout the ages. Yeah. But they're a collectivist society, so it sort of goes against... So you're saying like there's legends of individual people, yeah. but those legends are used to create a collectivist society. Yeah. That is an interesting... Dichotomy. It is an interesting yeah. dichotomy. And to start us off, I've got a quote from Carl Friday. Oh, you're starting with a quote, are you? That's a bit... What? Stayed. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> um, and it's just an idea that he describes Japanese feudalism in contrast to its uh, Western counterpart is a futile paradigm. A futile paradigm? Yeah. Okay. What do any of those words mean? 
<laughs> so you're asking me to explain the point? Yes. Well, uh, first of all, I don't know what Japanese feudalism is, but I know what uh, Western feudalism is. Mm. Western feudalism, the idea that all power stems from the monarch, the monarch gives temporary land rights to the nobility, mm-hmm. and they get the peasants to work that land. So all power stems from above. Mm-hmm. The idea that in Japanese society, their feudalism is, what was it, a futile paradigm? Yeah. I suppose that means that, well, futile means not, not, of, not of any use. Paradigm means that it's sort an ideal, yeah. an idealised, yeah. Well, I, I took it as um, it would be hard to compare the two. No? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's... Wait, what, say the quote again. Uh, Japanese feudalism, feudalism in counterpart to its Western oh. uh, thing. I didn't put that bit down. It's a futile paradigm. Yeah, yeah, it's a futile comparison. Okay. Yeah. yeah, 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 I get that now. Because um, I, I think a key point to realise is sort of like base is it's very hard to compare our society with Japanese society because of different ideals. It's like chalk and... Sushi. Sushi. Yeah. <laughs> But um, cheese and sushi and cheese. Sushi, sushi and cheese, because um, we're a very individualist society. Which mm-hmm. is, like we um, we value the individual, and we think that everyone can achieve everything if they work hard, hard enough at it. Yeah. Whereas Japan is more about everyone forms this mass, mm-hmm. and this mass works in the giant wheel of um, the society they live in. Yeah. So enough with the background. Mm-hmm. Today we're going to look at three key points of Japanese history. Uh, the first one is, of course... Civil Wars. The Civil Wars. No, the, the first Civil War is... Oh, the first Civil War. Um, You're never going to get it. Well, when was it? Uh, it was in 1180. So what was it? It was the... The, Gen- s- the Samurai Rising. <laughs> it was the Genpei War. Oh, yeah. The Genpei War. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll give you a brief story of it just to get through. The Taira and the Minamoto clans were the dominant powers of the time. Okay, so can I just pause you there? Sure. Clans. Mm. Now, this is something that we would associate more with the Gaelic nations in this country, so Ireland and Scotland. Mm-hmm. What are clans in the Japanese context? Clans in the Japanese, they're like fiefdoms under the feudalism idea. Mm-hmm. So, like, a clan would have a lord, it would all be... Um, It'll be kept within the family. So is it? So this is why, because I did some research on Scottish clans mm-hmm. um, recently, and the comparison between Scottish clans and the English feudal system, while there are comparisons, the clans in Scotland were more based, because clan means family, it was more based on this idea, not literally of a family, but they work and operate as a family. Is that the same in Japanese clans? I wouldn't say so. Okay. I, I think uh, the way Japanese society used to work is you'd have an emperor. Well, at this point, there'd be an emperor, mm-hmm. and you'd have clans throughout Japan. They were called clans, but they'd be under a daimyo or a lord. Yeah. And it would be like a little kingdom throughout, like loads of little kingdoms throughout Japan. So the Japan. distinction would be that. Like, think of the United States. But so they would all swear loyalty to the emperor. Yeah. Okay, that's different because in Scottish clans they all operate almost independently oh. of the king. They swear loyalty to the emperor, but they have control over that. Okay. Um, yeah. Got it. Okay. So that's the first sentence of the. <laughs> <laughs> About ten more to get. 
Um, so between the Tyra and the Minamoto clan, uh, there's a lot of names that you're going to struggle okay. with. The Tyra, Minamoto. That's, that's a good start. Yeah. But the leaders of each, Tyra Kyomori and Minamoto Yoshitomo, yeah. uh, they defend the emperor against challengers in uh, 11,055. So they've, they've helped the Emperor. 1150. 1150 if I'm not a historian. <laughs> <laughs> uh, four years later, uh, Minamoto Yoshimoto, Yoshitomo, I'm trying to say it in an English accent. Yeah, no, say it in a Japanese accent. Uh, Minamoto Yoshitomo yeah. is annoyed that Taira got more from the Emperor as a result of his loyalty. So got more of a, a boon. Yeah. So he starts the Hogen Rebellion. Oh, yeah. He gets absolutely battered. Yeah. So Gets killed, army disbanded, all that. 20 years later, yeah. as if from the ashes, his son, uh, Minamoto Yoritomo, <laughs> yeah. comes back to challenge the Tyra, and the Genpai War starts. Other disenfranchised political leaders join him as they fell for his cause of like the revenging of his mm-hmm. father and all that. And a key point is halfway through the war, the Emperor flip-flops. Ooh. Joins them... Um, the Minamoto clan. Yeah. Uh, Tyra gets wiped out. Minamoto installs himself as the Shogun. What is a Shogun? Shogun. Yeah. Well, I've heard of Shogun before. Yeah. So I assume the Shogun is like leader a, a leader. Leader of the Shogun. But what... So a couple of points. Mm-hmm. Um, the first is the Emperor... So they were warring over the Emperor's favour, weren't they? Or they were warring over the perceived differences that the Emperor favoured different groups? Well, they were warring over... They just wanted to get power in the beginning. They, like, they fought each other. Like, this happened quite a lot. Mm. Clans would fight each other. Yeah. But under the supervision of, like, you settle that, don't let it expand. Yeah. This one sort of blew up, and the Tyra and the Minamoto were the most dominant mm-hmm. um, sort of parties. So the minute, like, the Minamoto fell, the Tyra basically became a puppeteer of the emperor because he was so powerful okay so the clans could themselves exert influence over the emperor yeah well because they like they collected they could run their own sort of tax to a degree Mm. but um if they earned more they'd have more sway over the emperor so this this is where they ran their own armies this is where as you said at the beginning that quote comes into play Mm. because this is very different to the english feudal system yeah because at this point there were no nobles who could come anywhere near the power of the king. Oh, no, it's, it's, it's a different story. Okay, yeah. interesting, yeah. But, going back to my question, yes. what's a shogun? Shogun, well, I said, like, um, a local leader? Or? It's, a military, it's the military leader. Okay. So, the emperor sort of controls the, you know, the poetry, the la-di-da. The culture. Yeah, the culture yeah. side. The shogun, he runs the army. He does the real stuff. He does the real stuff. Yeah. Rolls up his sleeves. Yeah. Uh, and 400 years of peace follow. What do you think of the story? What do I think of the story? Yeah. It sounds a bit um, potentially romanticised and idealised. Nailed it. A lot of it is nonsense. Really? Well, not nonsense. The, the, the idea of it follows, but... It's not the disenfranchised political leaders. That's not why they joined. Mm. Minamoto said that you can have control over your domain, you can tax whatever you want. Yeah. So they got money from it. The emperor flip-flopped because he saw that if he stayed with the other guy, he'd get battered. Yeah. So he changed. 
And the shogunate effectively just becomes ruler of Japan. Emperor means nothing anymore. So he's got. It's all about military power. This is where the bushido, which is like the warrior um, code, comes in. So it's all about fighting and showing your metal. So is this the point where that comes first into play? Uh, yes. Before this, they were almost vassals of China. Yeah. So they didn't really have their own. They had their own government, but they were like a puppet state. Can I just say, I'm, that, that word vassals, I don't think I've ever heard you say that word in my life. you heard me say vassals. And I don't think I've ever said that word before in my life. Well, I'm a university uh, scholar. A scholar, yeah. <laughs> so it's a romanticised idea. Mm-hmm. First question, why romanticise this character of Minamoto Yoritomo? Is that the son? That's the son that becomes Shogunate. I guess there's a few. I mean, the, the first main reason I say why it was romanticised, perhaps not why romanticised, why it was because the old adage that history that history is written by the victors. Perfect. But also, is there not something to say for this idea that you are avenging a wrong? And that mm. provides quite an interesting and potent moral code going forward. Because yep. you can say, when people have done something wrong, you don't just let it lie. Mm-hmm. You avenge that that thing. Uh, and I assume that feeds into the warrior code. It, it does. A good part of the war, warrior code is, um, it's not revenge. What's the thing for revenge? Like, justice. 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 Justice, yeah. Um, what was the warrior code called again? Bushido. Bushido. Uh, Bushido. Bushido. Okay. Yeah. So, you answered it almost exactly how I wanted you to. <laughs> but, um, the point is, this story written by the victors, creates this idea of fate and prophecy. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, uh, we talked about the mandate of heaven in the American. Yeah. So, so that gets instilled in Japan. Mm-hmm. So people are fated to do things, which comes up later. Second question, why create a shogunate? A military leader. Yeah, that controls the whole army of like, all of Japan. I suppose a central authority is far more effective in administering power they have one in the emperor though why why military but yeah like but in order to make sure that people are obeying your laws you need to make sure they're enforced in the military the best way to do that exactly whereas like like you say you can't write a poem to tell people <laughs> to make sure that they don't kill each other that's not going to work exactly. you know well if you kill another person there's going to be another poem on your doorstep <laughs> so watch out so watch out yeah um a haiku <laughs> they went into military law essentially to just make sure this doesn't happen again suppress rebellions and to take power over the emperor and we had 400 years of peace 400 years of peace very important next one the Sengoku Jidai I've heard that I've heard, you've heard me say that a million times yeah this can't, one I can't say I've ever listened to what you've said after that <laughs> exactly but it's um, this is one I probably know most about mm-hmm but we're going, to t- we're going to go from a different angle. Because we know what happens. It's a civil war. People yeah. fight. Eventually it all gets resolved. Yeah. Now we're going to look at three key players. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll just do a quick run through of them. Uh, like I said, the prophecy comes into play. So about... After 400 years, prophecy have been like, oh, this is fine. Slowly they start to say, like, death and destruction behold us all. Yeah. Uh, which is another one, question I wanted to ask you. Um... Do you think prophecy becomes self-fulfilling in history? I suppose because history is written 
by the victors, they're always going to look back in hindsight and pretend there was a prophecy there. Oh, yeah. Because you're always you're, you're never going to win without a legitimate cause. You're mm. never going to... No one fights if they don't believe that they are right to fight. Yeah. And that yeah. when they win that fight, they will always say that they've, they've got, you know, God or whoever on this. It's like in football, in a penalty shootout, both teams are praying to God. Yeah. If one team wins, they say that was God yeah, helping God us. Was on our side. And the other team, when they lose, they don't say, "Oh, God was against us." They just go, "Whatever." It wasn't just, our day. It wasn't our day. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. I don't know. That's that's just my opinion. Right? No, no, that's I'm, I like that. Yeah. It's not. It's not really to do with this. Just okay. Uh, well, the three main characters we're looking at is Oda Nobunaga. Oda Nobunaga. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. Uh, Tokugawa Ieyasu. Tokugawa Ieyasu. Oh, uh, that's pretty good. And Toyotomi Hideyoshi. And that guy. And that guy. Uh, last well, but not least. Last but not said. least. I mean, you know, everyone knows. Yeah. Everyone knows about Ugu Lugu Lugu. <laughs> but they don't know about the last guy. The last guy. Um, right, so, first of all, Oda Nobunaga. <laughs> what? That's his name. Oda, we'll say it again. Oda Nobunaga. Oda Nobunaga. What's his first name? Oh, well, they... Oh. Yeah. First names point. and surnames are reversed, aren't they? Yeah. So what's his sir Oda? Oda Oda is his surname. Yeah. He's with the Oda clan. clan yeah. yeah. Nobunaga. Oda. Oda. So if he was James Bond, he'd say the name's Oda. Nobunaga. Oda. Oda. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Uh, at the age of twenty-seven, wins a battle with uh, twenty-five hundred people against an army of tens of thousands. They're about to underdog. Underdog. Decimate. This was a big underdog move, and that. Odor dog. Odor dog. <laughs> <laughs> and that army that he beat was about to steamroll him and move to Kyoto. Because mm-hmm. a civil war, take Kyoto, you've come to show. Is Kyoto the capital at this point? Yes. Allies with the Western powers and becomes a Christian. Oh. Oh, we don't like that. Sell out. Se- yeah. What can't... was the predominant religion in Japan? Uh, Shinto Buddhism. Okay. Yeah. So a Japanese version of the Chinese. And sorry, what year are we in at this stage? Uh, we are in the 16th, 16th century. So 1500s. 1500s, yeah. Uh, but, comes a Christian, what do you get from trade with the West at this, t- in this period? Like what products? Yeah. Normally manufactured goods. Manufactured goods, but they're in a civil war. What could they want? Guns. Weapons. Guns, Exactly. So he becomes a Christian, gets loads of trade, gets guns. Yeah. So it's sort of like he's a pragmatist. Okay, so he's Christian for weapons yeah. Yeah. kind of stuff. He prays to slay. Uh, first warlord to unite all of Japan, so he made it. Comes Shogun, sort of like owns. Commits the atrocity at Mount Hiei. Um, it was a Buddhist temple mm-hmm. with women and children inside it, loads of monks and that. Yeah. He's had trouble fighting monks before, if you can believe it. <laughs> yeah, what, what trouble can you have fighting monks? Uh, they're like warrior monks. So they, they were really good. At, they had guns as well. They had like spears. And... They were warrior monks. Yeah. And like the thing with Japanese temples is they're basically fortresses. Okay. You can't oh, get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, that's a whole different thing. Okay. If you want to know about the Sengoku Jidai, there's a YouTube... Um, couple of YouTube videos, which I've done more research than that, obviously. Obviously, obviously you've been reading yeah. worthy academic yeah. tomes. Dostoyevsky. Yeah. <laughs> but if you, <laughs> if, if you want to sort of simplify... Yeah, if you want a base, sort yeah, of like, yeah. if you're just getting into it. Um, it's called Extra History. Extra History, the Sengoku Jidai is brilliant. You can 
extra history, I've heard of that. Yeah. So the atrocity at Mount Hiei was surrounded this sort of mountain complex, yeah. set fire to everything, everyone burned inside. Yeah. It's horrible. Right. But this gets him a reputation. Yeah. Hard man. Uh, and he's eventually betrayed in 1582 by one of his generals and has to commit seppuku. That's the ritual suicide. Ritual suicide. Stab yourself. In the belly and yeah. drag it. Why did he do that again? Sorry, I wasn't listening. Um, he's betrayed, so he's going to die anyway. So he kills himself. Oh, so rather than be killed by someone who betrays him. But remember, everything with a pinch of salt, history is written by the victors. Yes. But that's Oda Nobunaga in a nutshell. Next guy, Toyotomi Hideyoshi. Yeah. One that you can't say. Okay. Go on then. Toyotomi Hideyoshi. Perfect. No. We'll do it again. Toyotomi. 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 Hideyoshi. Hideyoshi. Very good. This guy starts off as a peasant. Yeah. Started from the bottom, no, so, yeah. and becomes lord of all creation. <laughs> <laughs> so he starts off as a peasant yeah. in the Oda territory, yeah. and becomes a sandal bearer. Mm-hmm. So, it, so chronologically, he comes after the third, the first guy. No, he's cut the same time. Oh, okay, he's like a friend. But he's in the Oda territory. Yeah, he's, so, a, he's a, he becomes a friend of Oda Nobunaga. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he's tasked to create a castle at the bottom of this mountain, mm-hmm. uh, and he builds it a day. Yeah. So it becomes a legendary builder. I don't think that's possible. It's not possible. Yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Uh, so he works under Nobunaga until his death and then becomes Regent Shogun. Okay. So yeah. he, he does become Lord of all creation. Yeah. First thing he does, what do you think it is? Being a peasant. A peasant? He must do something to help out the peasants. You'd think that. Okay. He creates should... a caste system. <laughs> yeah, he kills all the peasants. <laughs> so he's a, t- a typical... He's climbed up and he closes the door behind him. Yes. So he closes the trap door behind him. Exactly. So there was, there was a system where of social mobility in Japan. Mm-hmm. Now he creates a car system. This stays in place for 200 years, basically. Okay. This car system. And what was it? Was it like the, the, the English class system? Or was it more... It was, it was a bit more weird. It went like merchants, farmers, another one, samurai, lords. Okay. He strips all the peasants of their weapons. Yeah. Uh, but he then melt, melt, like, melts it all down and creates like a statue of the Buddha, so it's quite nice. Did you do that in like 10 minutes? Yeah. Well, he did it in half hour. Yeah. Uh, and he's the first one to do civil administration. Okay. That, what, said, what do you mean by that? Like, send people to all the lands, get tax, and like, okay. figure out where everyone's gone. So he's centralising. He, he, he's the one that's sort of like... Oda Nobunaga made it, and then he's... He's built a castle on it okay. in, a day. in a day. And he's like he's able to just go to people's land and send administrators and find out everything. So he's tying it all together. Tying it all together. And he's the shogunate region, or yeah. shogun region. Yeah. Gets There's like a five-year-old, one of Oda's kids that's five years old, and he says, like, I'll look after him. So that's what, that's what a regent is, isn't it? It's someone yeah. who looks after the position until the rightful person gets it. Yeah. But everyone loved him. Okay. He was like, he was really and the emperor good. is still... There's still an emperor. Still an time. emperor. Okay. But he's just not doing it. He can't do anything. He starts a disastrous war of Korea. It's really important. Mm-hmm. And just dies of old age. Okay. Bit boring. Wait, so he starts a war of Korea. Yeah. But he, and he, does he die during that war? Or after? No, the war finishes. Okay. But it was terrible. Like, loads of Japanese people died. Uh, loads of Korean people yeah. died. It's just an awful situation. He should have built some castles. <laughs> You'd think that. 
Uh, that's a different story. Uh, now, Tokugawa Iyasu. I'll rattle through this because we're dragging on, dragging our heels a bit. Uh, allies with the Oda in the early days. Mm-hmm. So he's friends with Nobunaga. Works with him for the whole time. Knows as a master diplomat. Yeah. Uh, escapes a war in Korea that Toyotomi starts. Yeah. Because he's got like special privileges. Uh, and becomes a prom- prominent finger in Japan at the time. Uh, eventually, after some battles and all that, we'll skip through it, he becomes shogun. Yes. But he's only shogun for two years and then retires, putting his son in charge. So the idea of a shogun mm-hmm. is a bit like a king. So yeah. Is it hereditary? No. Yes, yes. It is until you get replaced. Yeah. So it's, it's almost like your bloodline is legitimate until someone kills you. Yeah. And then their bloodline is legitimate. It's not like you get assassinated and then suddenly someone else shows. You have to like get the favour of everyone. Okay. So if you if you're the person with the most metal, everyone's going to side on your side, and then you become shogun. Remember, this is a really turbulent time. This doesn't happen all the time. Okay. Uh, basically, what in fact what I'm trying to say instills a Tokugawa shogunate rules for two hundred years. Okay. So th- this was a time of drastic social change. All I was trying to highlight is. In comparison to England, mm. where bloodline is really important, like you could be the most useless king ever, mm. but if you've got the royal blood, it is the right of all citizens to defend you and yeah. protect you. Yeah. And the only times that there's really questions over that in England are when the king is so weak or when religion plays a massive factor mm-hmm. that it doesn't happen very often. And even when they do remove the king, they replace them with someone who has another strong claim to the bloodline. It's not the same with the shogunate. No. Shogunate's who's got the most metal. It's that, that's more the emperor. The emperor's Okay. Man. Emperor's the bloodline. Shogun, shogunate's the man who gets things done. You want a competent man on that okay. throne. Yeah. Gotcha. <sighs> right. That's, that's that done. That's part one. That's part one. <laughs> well, that's the end of part two. And the question is, how and why are these men remembered? Why are these men prominent? They show up in Japanese media today. There's a film that shows Nobunaga and um, Ieyasu, and they've got very clear sort of caricatures that they display. I guess, again, it feeds into that whole idea that you were talking about, the legend Mm -hmm. of these people, and the way that a lot of their... For a lot of their lives, they've displayed what I assume to be aspects of the warrior code. So the first guy, Odin Nugunawa. Close. His, was he, he was the guy with ritual suicide. No, he wasn't, was he? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. the guy with the ritual suicide. Showing that kind of warrior code that I'd rather die a hero than live to be a coward. Mm-hmm. Kind of stuff. But I'm not sure on the exact other legends that they could be. I'm, I'm glad you said that, because this is a running question. So yeah. we'll come back to that okay. at the end. Who do you think is the most interesting one? I'd say the, the second guy, the peasant. I'd agree with you. What, what was his name? Uh, Toyotomi Hideyoshi. Yeah. Mm. Because he established... First of all, he comes from an unusual position. Mm-hmm. Second of all, he achieves great success. And third, third of all, he establishes that caste system you talked about that remains a legacy for much longer. Exactly. I've said he bans that, the very social mobility that allows him to yeah. become a shogun. Uh, and he's never depicted as a sort of bad guy in the Japanese media. He's sort of like a prominent figure that's quite good. Oda Nobunaga's always the sort of like, oh, 
He's, he's like considered ruthless and mm. horrible, but sort of like driven. It's, yeah. it's an interesting, um, like a hooligan. Like it's an interesting contrast. I think it's because he sort of, he accepted Christianity. Bit of a sellout. Bit of a sellout, yeah. Like in all of the things that I've seen him in, he's sort of like got sort of Western clothing on, he's drinking wine at night. So he's almost like he's not stayed true to his culture, exactly. whereas the second guy... Yeah. And also he's quite rough around the edges, though we're not going Is he? Pretty, pretty okay, brutal. But we won't go into that. Right, last one. Get through it. You'll probably like this. The Meiji Restoration. Yeah. After 200 years of peace, what breaks it? Uh, the West. Ow. Trade. The Black Ships. The Black Ships. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Well, we mentioned it in a few podcasts ago. Mm-hmm. So it was under Millard Fillmore, 13th President of the United States. Yeah. Can't remember the dates. 1853. 1853. Mm-hmm. 1853. The idea that it was gunplay, gunboat diplomacy, wasn't it? That yes. Japan was trying to stay in a state of isolation. Mm-hmm. The West weren't going to allow it. No. And as a consequence, they're going to sort of, with a big show of power, with all these huge black ships that are far more technologically advanced than what Japan could muster, yep. they're doing that thing like, we, we, we want you to negotiate with us, but really it's not negotiation, you've got to do exactly what we say. Under Commodore Perry. Yes. Yeah. Uh, how do you think Japan reacted to this? I imagine they were very scared. They were very scared. Not very happy with the West either. Shogunate, he's not happy. Mm. He's the big man around the place. And now he looks like a little man. Yeah, now he looks like a little man. But, basically, this spurs modernisation in Japan. They go, we are knackered if they come over here. Yeah. We've got no chance. But the Shogun wants to sort of defend his power because he's becoming obsolete very quickly. Yeah. And it's basically, the Meiji Restoration is the rise of the Emperor. Emperor Meiji. Yeah. He becomes the prominent figure. Uh, in 66, 1866, two reformists, name of Saigo Takamori and Kido Takayoshi, uh, ally against the shogunate. Shogunate was eventually defeated in 1869, and the emperor gained full power of the unified Japan. So can I ask a question at this point? So it's yeah. called the Meiji Restoration. Mm-hmm. Restoration bringing, meaning bringing something back. Yeah. But throughout all this period, as I've already asked, the emperor is still there. Yeah. So what are they actually restoring? Uh, sort of power to the emperor. So they're going... Because, yeah. again, from the English context, lots of these big changes mm-hmm. are justified not by present circumstances or even future circumstances, but by a call back to the past. They're going, this is how it used to be in the past, and that's what we should aspire to. Okay. So, like, the Magna Carta in England, it wasn't saying, in the future, the king needs to have less power. They're saying, well, this is how it used to be in the past, and it was better back then. Uh-huh. Are there any elements of the Meiji Restoration that are sort of like this is the good, back? Let's go back to the good old days where the emperor was actually in charge. Or is it? More, or is it more forward thinking? It's, a, it's definitely more forward thinking. I suppose my question is, how do they justify it? Uh, well, they ju- the emperor justifies it by saying we're so far behind mm-hmm. the Western power. Like what ha- what started happening in China at this point? Open wars. Open wars, and Hong Kong started being. Yeah run by the British. Japan were terrified of the Western powers doing what, that, what they did in China to Japan. 
So they went, right, we've got to get on with this. Because just a bit of background on the opium wars, Britain essentially were an international drug dealer mm-hmm. who was selling opium for, to the Chinese in return for sort of spices and gunpowder and all those things. And the emperor of China was basically like, stop doing that. We don't want your opium anymore. And the British were like, deal with it, we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And they thought a war over it and it just mm-hmm. showed that they couldn't match the Western powers for for pure military might. Exactly. And Japan went, we've got, we've got, we've got a build up. We can't let that happen to us. We can't let that happen to us. No. So they start allying with America, uh, Britain and the French during the restoration. Mm-hmm. So I think the French... I'm sure that alliance will last. Oh yeah, it's, it's, it's perfect. Yeah. It, it's set in stone. <laughs> so I think the French ally with the Shogun. Mm-hmm. Typical. Um, and the British and the Americans ally with the Emperor. Yeah. What that does is the British build railroads and all that stuff in Japan. Yeah. Sort of like help that. They build seaports yeah. to start goods, it's like sending goods. So they basically they do, long story short, modernise. Infrastructure. Point, infrastructure. They um, learn new sort of like fighting techniques. Mm-hmm. But they bring over modern ideas and modern techniques. Yeah. Specifically Western modern. Yeah. yeah. And they learn from it. Did the Japanese at this point, did they do this, did they accept all of this reluctantly or did they see some of these advances and go, well, that's bloody brilliant? It's, it's a mix. Okay. They saw the necessity to do it, but they didn't like it. They didn't like it? Yeah. Well, because... Uh, what elements specifically didn't they like? Well, they didn't like the idea of losing their Japanese-ness. Okay. Their identity. Their identity, yeah. That's why they stayed in the 200 years of isolation, mm-hmm. really, because they wanted to stay Japanesey. And what components of this Western imperialism challenged their identity? Uh, the samurai class is disbanded. Okay, because they're, too, they're like wild cards, aren't they? Well, they're not wild Samurai were like um, the ruling class. Samurai aren't what you think they are, like just oh, fighting men. That's a disappointment. That is a, that is a disappointment. They're the, they're the ruling class. Samurais. So they got rid of that ruling class. Yeah. Yeah. But interestingly, the samurais went. Oh, we can't do that anymore. But the pe- the rulers went. It's all right. You can move into the bureaucratic centre. Okay. And they so all they became, became bureaucrats. They all became bureaucrats, which became its own elite class in Japan. Okay. So they put down. The what are they called? Uh, just bureaucrats. Not samurais. No. They're just those people that See, if, if you if if bureaucrats were called samurais. <laughs> you wouldn't have so much problems, wouldn't you? No. Like, you couldn't go, like, the EU, mm. you wouldn't be saying, oh, all those samurais in Brussels <laughs> trying to dictate what's trying going to... on. It just wouldn't work in the no, same way. It, it, they'd be too powerful. Yeah, the samurais yeah. telling us what to do. Tell you what, that samurai over there, <laughs> I'm sick of him. Right. So they become bureaucrats. Mm. They put down the sword and pick up the pen. Pen is mightier. Pen is mightier. Yeah, well, yeah they become their own elite class. Uh, it ends this thing called Sakoku, which is restriction on all foreign trade. Yeah. Don't worry. Uh, restores power to the emperor. Changes from a feudal society to a market economy. Mm-hmm. Do you know what a market economy is? Of course I do. A capitalist-driven economy. Yes. And what, what year are we in here? Did you say 1869 was the restoration of the emperor fully? Yes. Yeah. So if we're thinking about when the market economy really emerges in the world, we're talking late... 18th century in Britain. Mm-hmm. So Britain at this point is at the height of the Industrial Revolution, the height of, not quite the height of empire, but 
coming towards the height of empire. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea of market forces is that they they work globally and that's where they work best. Yeah. And if you're, it's almost like if you're not in the club, then yeah. we're going to force you to be... Well, it's, it's all about the deals and the dollars. It's all about the deals and the dollars. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's the rise of nationalism and the end of states. That's interesting. Mm. So as the economy becomes more market-driven and by extension more individualist... Mm-hmm that actually leads to a greater deal of nationalism than before. Yes. I wonder why that is. We might come to that later. Okay. Yeah, strong centralised government comes installed. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, and started using enlightenment ideals, such as public education. What was the system before? Uh, was it just like um, the very richest get kind of... Yeah. Education? Well, um... Back in samurai days, like 200 years before this... Samurai not meaning bureaucrats. Not meaning bureaucrats at yeah. this point. Um, they were often taught in sort of like Chinese teachings, in sort of specific samurai schools. Buddhist. Buddhist. But again, remember the caste system's in place. So if you're a farmer and you give birth to a kid, that kid's a farmer. farmer. So you're just educated in the kind of the apprenticeship yeah. of whatever caste you're born into. Exactly, yeah. So yeah, public schools were coming out. The caste system gets abolished, basically. Um, by public schools, everyone gets the same education. Yes. I think that's where nationalism might come from. Oh, well done. Uh, you found something that I didn't know. <laughs> well, it's just a guess, but no. when everyone's educated in the same way, yeah, it creates a greater sense of that, national it, unity. A good point there. It, it was often used to create propaganda. Like, not brainwashing, but... Yeah, brainwashing. Well, as we, saw in, as we saw in that episode about teenagers, all the way back to the ancient Greeks, they understood that education can be a way of controlling the population and making them mm. think in similar ways. And, right, now we're going to come to the thing that you forgot in the title. You really not remember what it is? Civil Wars. Civil Wars. Legends. Legends. Why is, why is Legends important? Literature. Poetry. But what does it contradict? Reality? No, Japanese... History? Ugh. Um, collectivism. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Japanese yeah. collectivism. Yeah, okay. Harry Trindas, in his book, Individualism and Collectivism. Yeah. Uh, so, collectivism... I assume he was writing about it in the later portion of that book. First portion being on individualism. Yeah. The later, and then the later being, on being on... Collectivism. And this is from the collectivism yeah, portion. the second half. Portion of that book. Yeah. Uh, he, de- he describes uh, collectivism as children to be compliant oh. rather than innovate. Uh, yes, that yeah. makes sense. What does that mean? So if you're compliant, it means that you comply with instructions, so you do what you're told, basically. Mm-hmm. So uh, rather than innovate, which is to... A strange word, because it means basically to improve things and to change things. Mm-hmm. So collectivism is a way of making sure that children do what they're told rather than try and come up with better ideas. Yes. Yeah. So, looking at the whole thing, everything I've told you, mm-hmm. here is some key questions I want you to answer. Okay. Why? Well, so can I ask some more questions about this collectivism? Sure. So, this when does this come about? After the heralding of public schools? Uh, it's, it's been about in Japan for ages. Since the beginning, okay. in a collectivist society. Since the beginning, it's always been a collectivist society. What are some of the ways that they've uh, proliferated or 
made that a common belief. Well, I think that's a futile paradox. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the ways that they've, they've managed to spread the idea across society? Um, well, and why, why a lot have... of folklore in the early days um, installed collectivist ideals. Mm-hmm. Um, they've, they've always been... Well, they've always been... I don't, I'm not sure why. Because it just it just interests me because Britain I suppose, and the West being so individual and this mm. being so collectivist, why 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 is that? It started off, I believe, because again it was a vassal of mm. China in yeah. a way, and with Confucius teachings saying that it's all about the group and yes. those destined leaders and all of that. Yeah. They've taken it in a slight. They took it in a slightly different direction. Well, took a sideways look at it. Yeah. Um, but that's where it began with, and then it evolved through Japanese teachings and Japanese history and sort of like... So you can root it in... Because normally when you look at what a society is, you can root it in like the philosophical teachings of that society so and the religious... And a lot, a lot of the... Yeah, I was going to say, a lot of the philosophical teachings in Japan came from Buddhism. And Buddhism is a collectivist yeah. religion in many ways. Yes. And you can also... Do you want to teach this lesson? No, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm bouncing these ideas off you because yeah. I don't know, but I'm, it's really interesting me and I want to try and find out. No, more. go on, go on, yeah. So the second bit is, like, economically, mm. perhaps being an isolated nation requires you to be more collectivist. Yeah, It requires yes. you to band together as one big group. That's true. Whereas countries like Britain and America... Britain reliant on trade. Reliant on trade and always trying to expand mm. and look elsewhere. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's collectivism. Mm. And, it, and it's important that after this sort of like isolation stopped and nationalism grew, they started to expand. Mm-hmm. They, went, they tried to take over Manchuria yeah. with some horrendous um, results. So why did they do that? Why did they start? Uh, because the, they started the empire. They saw... What the Western powers did, and when we went slice, and they tried to emulate it. Yeah. And when did the empire start? Approx. Around the Meiji Restoration, they they um they called it the Japanese Empire, after the uh, the emperor. Yes. In power. And how I don't know. Are you going to come to World War Two? No. Okay, this might not be in the podcast. I just want to ask. No, no, no. We 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 can touch on World War Two. It's an interesting. So, for my own interest. How do we pivot from, as you said, Japan being allied with the British and the Americans, at least on a trade basis, yeah. to... And they're allied during World War One, aren't they? Yeah, they are. They fight on the, the Allied side during World War One. Mm-hmm. How does it go from that to them being enemies and eventually allying with Hitler and the Nazis? I don't know this particularly well, but from hearsay... Yeah. Uh, I think it's... Um, and don't, if you don't want to do... I, I won't put it in. Yeah, don't don't put it in. But I just want to know. I think it's the Germans. The Germans really helped out the um, Japanese during their... So they're, rise they're like an olive branch. Yeah. And they gave them all sort of like weaponry to help invade China and all that. Okay. And they became allies. And then they attacked Pearl Harbor. And then the Americans started a war. Yeah. So they, they're allied through convenience. Yeah. They don't really hold any... And I suppose they're they're willing to ditch the British and the Americans at any point if a yeah, better yeah. offer comes out. Well, they they're not they're not happy with the like the Americans force them to modernize. It's yeah. like um, I don't know if a really big tough guy said, "Give me a lunch money," and then you had to get really big and tough. 
You wouldn't be mates with him suddenly, would you? No, or you would be until someone else came along and then you could go, yeah. right, I'm mates with you now, yeah. let's go and beat up that To hell with that guy, yeah. Okay. Oliver's Questions. This is what this is titled as. Okay. Like Gulliver's Travels, but completely different. Yeah. <laughs> Not even similar. <laughs> Not even similar. <laughs> Question one. Why did a collectivist society have so many civil wars? Oh, okay. So you're not asking me, like, uh, knowledge-based questions, you're asking me? Oh, we'll do the quiz in a second. Okay, I was all ready to try and remember all the... No, 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 no. Or the Naganawa and... This is, um... This is just... Okay. To get your creative juices flowing. These are the ones that I'm good at. Yeah. The ones that don't have an answer. (laughs) The ones that don't have (laughs) But I could just blab on about. So say it again. Why do the collective society... Why does a collectivist society have so many civil wars? Good question. I don't, I don't think there's a concrete answer. I've got my own opinion. I suppose you can be collective in different ways and that ultimately power and the most powerful will always try to rise to the top and conflict and have a war over certain things. But I also think there's a degree that you can compete almost over who is the best collectivist. Mm. Like you go... Well, this person is doing it for the best of the nation. This person is just doing it for themselves. But I guess they're almost saying this person has the best will of the country at hand. So we should support them against this other person who's very powerful, but they don't have the best collective wishes of the country at hand. Mm. So let's fight on that regard. Um, So you're saying that they believe they rally behind someone because they believe that they have the best values. Yeah, the that they have the best yeah. values for the collective society. Right, that's a very interesting um, cop out. Uh, what I've put, okay, <laughs> is um, no, it's, it's an interesting idea. I think whenever I put whenever drastic change was needed, a slow moving collectivist government wouldn't. To do it. Like, if you think of all the times they had a civil war, mm-hmm. Meiji Restoration, they needed change. A collectivist government wouldn't do it. Like, the shogunate was entrenched in his own yeah. ways. The Sengoku Jidai started off with a little war and it blew out of hand. No, there wasn't any central control, so someone went, right, we've got to sort this out ourselves. Yeah. Walked in and sort of, like, established it. Uh, the first one, it was become very stagnant and they were under the control of China... So I'm right, we need a strong military leader and they weren't going to sort of like negotiate out of it. So collectivism, when things get a bit turgid, turgid. They, <laughs> it doesn't have the apparatus or the power to radically change things as needed. Yes. As is seen through things like those so many years of isolation mm-hmm. and it needs a big flashpoint. Yeah, exactly. I, I like to, I like, like, think of how long the periods of peace were in between. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say that we've, as as with all history, we've looked at the flashpoints mm. rather than the many, you know, years of problems. Oh, the no, the years, nitty-gritty. The, yeah, the, not the years of problems, sorry. The years of, sort of, you know, the Titanic hit an iceberg, but you forget about the, <laughs> the hundreds of miles of plain sailing. Yeah, where was everything fine. Where everything was fine. But I suppose that's the point, isn't it? The same with... What about the 24 years where Jack the Ripper wasn't a killer? Exactly. That was fine. He was all right then. Yeah. So it's really only... China perhaps doesn't actually have that many... Sorry, Japan doesn't have that many civil wars. Mm. It's just at those flashpoints that it needs to in order to modernise. Exactly. That, that's, that's my take on it. Mm. That's what I think it is. Is that just um, your personal take? Uh, that's my personal take. I've heard it said before as well. Okay. Um, 
I'm not sure what... I was, I was interested to see what you said as a layman. Well, I think you, you're, you've um, pointed out what my next question would be. Well, can we, just, can we just hold on to that one for a second? Okay. I suppose it depends on your definition of collectivism. Okay. Because though that, that motivation for civil war is motivation for civil war everywhere. That the government is unable to perhaps introduce reforms that are desperately needed at that time. Mm-hmm. So the English civil war was a struggle against the power of the king who had become far too powerful. Mm. The glorious revolution in England, again, over the powers of the king and the Catholic religion versus the Protestant religion. So I'm, I, I, what my struggle is to see why that is a uniquely collectivist idea. It's a good point. I, I think it's not uniquely collectivist. I think it, I think it influences it. I also think Japan was just set up to have civil wars. Yeah. So it had loads of fiefdoms that had control over their own armies. And the way you got power was by defeating the previous shogun. And that's basically. a recipe for disaster. It's a recipe for disaster. Whereas in, this, this happened in England during the time of the Tudors. Mm-hmm. Henry VII came to power with a terrible claim to the throne. But prior to that, you had the Wars of the Roses, which yeah. you may have heard of. Heard of it. I've heard you yammering a lot. <laughs> which is basically loads of different kings coming in, getting replaced, coming in, getting replaced. And the reason for that was this concept of, that they called bastard feudalism, mm-hmm. which is the idea that the feudal system had been destroyed because whereas previously the king was clearly at the top of the tree and no one could challenge him, mm-hmm. because the land deals had slowly eroded and because nobles could slowly build their own power and their own affinities, which were like their, their warriors and their, their armies, mm-hmm. nobles got to be just as powerful, if not more powerful, than the king. Okay. So they become the king makers, and they go, well, if I throw my support behind this guy, he'll beat that guy. Got it. And the idea is that the more sources of similar power there are, the more internal disturbances there are going to be. Mm. And I think that marries up very nicely with what you said about Japan. I think it does. Good comparison to English, whatever you were saying. Yeah, exactly. It was set up for civil wars and also required radical change. That's why they had civil wars. Uh, next question. Mm-hmm. Same question, but with legends. Why were there so many legends and why were they so celebrated? What, le- what, what were they? Well, we spoke about that, that the idea of justice and revenge. Mm-hmm. I mean, every cu- country has its legends. Mm-hmm. And they're usually to... But what, so what are some English legends? Robin Hood? Robin I'm, I'm talking about folk... Like, these, are, these aren't folklore King legends. Arthur. King Arthur. Yeah. But what, what, are they, what did they do? Who's the guy that killed the dragon? George. George. Yeah. What, what did these people do when he killed the dragon? George. Obviously. But well, what... again, freeing the country from danger and peril mm-hmm. is the most common one. That's the most common one. Or, or, yeah, bringing justice bringing where there justice. is an absence of it. Uh, these ones, like Nobunaga, uh, Ieyasu, and Toyotomi, yeah. what did they do? They brought stability. They unified Japan. Yeah. yeah. That's why they're considered legends of the time. And um, the first guy unified Japan, mm-hmm. brought it all under the okay. power of a shogunate. Yeah. So it wasn't so much... Um, of course, they had the backstory of freeing it from a corrupted government. But um, 
that was just more to make it more, sort of like make it a narrative, make it interesting. The re- the reason why they're celebrated because they unified and created one nation. And unification is seen as a good thing. Unification yeah. is seen as a strong centralised central government yeah. is a very good thing throughout Japanese mm-hmm. history. What do you think? I mean, we're not done. We're going to have some... Uh, quick quiz. Quick quiz. Really interesting. I mean, what I find most difficult and most challenging about learning about this is I don't have, as I would with England the and America blocks. and Europe, yeah, the building blocks mm-hmm. and the basics and the cultural basics... Mm. So when you, you say these things, and that's why I really wanted to reiterate it, when you say there was a civil war, then another civil war, then the Meiji Restoration, mm. I'm missing all those bits in between. Yeah. Well, the bits in between, things happened, but there were things like uh, cultural changes, like like a lot of art. And, a lot of and that's what I'm missing as well, the cultural references mm. and the cultural hooks that all these things are hard well, a lot of it's entrenched in Buddhism Shinto Buddhism which is hard to get to grips they've got a thing called Wabi Sabi in Japanese art it's the idea of the viewer seeing uh, bits of it which have nothing in it but they project them, project it onto it. do you know what I mean? project themselves into it it's, it's sort of um, do you know what liminal space is? yeah it's sort of uh, understand like feeling that liminal space in a painting. So if if you we saw them in um, Japan, they had like these woodblock prints, and a lot of them had like clouds going over them, uh-huh. so you couldn't see off of it. That's sort of like wabi sabi, sort of like phantasmic. But is the idea you project your own reality onto it, um, or is it more prescriptive than that? It's it's more. What does prescriptive mean? It means like that. There's more of a. The, the artist wants you to think of a certain thing. Um, no, the artist, I don't think they want you to think of a certain thing. I think it's just um, being part, it's part of Buddhism, sort of that, sort of not knowing. That's that. That, okay, I get That, that. nebulous thinking, that, that's represented by the absence of something. So you can't, so there's, it's almost like the idea there's some things you can't yeah. see and you shouldn't be And also, about. in a, this sort of links, in a lot of Japanese art, there's very rarely a central subject. Mm-hmm. Unless it's like a picture of a warrior or something, when you get like those landscapes, it's loads of little, little people. Yeah, loads of little people. It's like a Lowry them. painting. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, <laughs> Japanese art is like Japanese art is basically like Lowry. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, a bit. But like, you get all these mountains, and on the mountain, you might see a little hawk here and a little thing and waves. And waves. A lot of waves. Yeah. Uh, Hokuzai. Hokuzai. Right. The quiz. Quiz. Now, can I say I'm very worried about this quiz? Why? Because I'm not very good at remembering stuff. No, I'll try and make it as little about the names as possible. Well, give me some names, because I, 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 I do want some names. Do the questions that you got, and I'll uh, see how I do. Okay. What did Carl Friday call Japanese feudalism? What did he call it? Yeah. Or how did he compare it to... Yeah, what was the name for his It was a uh, something parad wait um futile paradigm. It's a futile paradigm. Futile paradigm. Uh, how many years after the Hogan Revolution? Four hundred. No. Oh. How many years after the Hogan <laughs> Revolution did uh, Miyamoto's son come back to Ooh. challenge Tyra? 20. 
Spot on. 20. Is it? Yeah, 20. Yes, I knew well, that. I didn't think you'd get that. I did not think you'd get that. Uh, what is the military leader called in Japan? Shogun. Shogun, yeah. Uh, I'm just making these up so I can't. <laughs> forgot to <laughs> do this. You've not written them down. I forgot to do this bit. So you got th- you got three so far. I'll get ten, aren't you? No, five. Do five. Five. Yeah. Right. What is the name of the peasant that rose to be? Oh. Yeah. That rose to be um, regent shogun of all Japan. Um, he was the second guy. Yeah. He created the car system. Mm-hmm. Is there an auto in there? Say auto. Do you want me to tell you? What is there? Do you want me to tell... spell it out? Well, just you? tell me. Well, just spell. Are there? Is there an auto in there? No. No. There's a T in there. There's a T, there's a t in there. But it, it begins with a T, doesn't it? Yep. Come on, basically. Taka, giving it to you. Takashawi. <laughs> Takayo. I don't know. Toyotomi Hideyoshi. Toyotomi. Oto. That's not Oto. Otomi. Otomi. Toya. Yeah? Toyato. Toyato. Oto. That's not Otto. <laughs> so there is an Otto. Okay, so that's three. So that's half a lot. Say it again. Toyotomi Hideyoshi. Toyotomi Hideyoshi. 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 See, if I had it written in front of me, I'm like... Yeah, you... you well, obviously, I'd got it if it was written, written in front of you. Yeah. You know, you'll probably, you'll probably know this one, but... So this is question four. It's question... It's question five. Is it? Oh, yeah, it's question five. I've got yeah. three out of three, didn't I? Yeah. Um, Final question. You'll know this one, but I wanted to put it in there. Uh, in the Meiji Restoration, Japan changed from a feudal society to what sort of economy? Market economy. Market economy. Four out of five. That's pretty good. And the only one I got wrong was the name. The name. Well, I tried I try to limit the amount of names. I was to get Oda Noganomi. Oda Noganomi. <laughs> Nobunaga. Odu Nobunaga. Nobunaga. Odu... Oda Nobunaga. Uh, this is why I didn't want to do it in a, in a Japanese accent, because you'd never get it. And it was the last guy, just a little bonus. Oh, not a clue. Uh, is there an Oto in there? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I don't know. Tokugawa Ieyasu. Tokugawa. Um, do I have anything more to say? Do you want to fish it off of a poem? Uh, About the three legends of the, Sen- haiku? of the Sengoku Jidai? Or is it a different type of haiku? Well, how is it different? Is it shorter or longer? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like three haikus put together. Oh. Ooh. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, give it a go. I can always edit it out. Uh, give us a moment. I'll find it. So is this it? No. I thought you had it. I did. I, I thought I put it in yesterday. You would get this in one of my research. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm coming out. I'm taking a sideways There's side. There's no, no dead air with mine. Because you cut out all of the dead air and all the times you go... Oh, no. <laughs> I literally cut out every time I pause or stutter or say something wrong. Yeah. It cuts straight out. I've seen it. Then it cuts to me going like, well... Uh, uh, off well the, off, uh, I distend all of yours. I make yours longer. <laughs> right. Uh, the three unifiers of Japan poem. Do you want it in Japanese or English? Uh, well, how long is it? Uh, it was three lines, it's not long at all. Three lines? Yeah. Right. Okay. And that's Wikipedia, is it? 
it's it's a it's a website. It's a it's an online it's encyclopedia. An on, it's an online encyclopedia that can be edited. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd like to hear it first in Japanese and then in English. What's it called? It's just called the Three Emperors. Uh, it's called Three Unifiers of Japan. Yeah. What are their names? Uh, Oda Nogunawa. Close. Oda Nobunaga. Oda Nobunaga. Um. Mid, um, don't know. Toya Tomihide Toya Tomihide And the third guy who literally murdered. Tokugawa Ieyasu. Tokugawa. Can we remember that? Okay. So, if the cuckoo does not sing, kill it. Yeah. If the cuckoo does not sing, coax it. If the cuckoo does not sing, wait for it. And that is the free... That is that's the, the approaches three, of the three, three unifiers of Japan. Interesting. So the first one was kill it, kill it, coax it, coax it, and wait for it, wait for it. Because mm. Ieyasu was friends with Nobunaga for the whole of his unification. Yeah. Then the Oda clan basically imploded into itself, mm-hmm. and he just sort of like sidestepped in, and he's the one that installed the Tokugawa shogunate for two hundred years. Yeah. Nobunaga, as we remember, quite a brute, yeah. swashbuckling guy. He's the one that kills it yeah. due to his um, atrocities at Hiei and such yeah. things. And um, Hideyoshi, coax it, was sort of like a bit of a... Wheeler dealer. Yeah, a bit of a wheeler dealer. Yeah. Right, so that is the podcast on Japan. Don't, the, wo- don't worry, I will not be doing this again. It was I a thought, right James, pain that, in the ass. I, did it take a lot of time to research? It took quite a bit. I'm, I'm not a historian at all. I'm, I'm more on films and language. We well, should have done one on films. I wanted to do one on films. Well, I said do one on films. No, you said do one on Japan. Yeah, Japanese films, I don't know. Oh, they? my God. Um, I'll do well, one. I'll, if, I, if you let me do one on films, I'll do another one. Well, maybe. <laughs> it was very good, James. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Um, next episode is going to be on moral panics. Ooh. I've decided. You did your dissertation on that. I did, well, yeah, I did do a sizable portion of that. Yeah. yeah. So, moral panics, I don't know which ones we're going to look at at the moment, but it will be moral panics, when people have got really hyped up about something that really isn't that big. And they're panicking. Of a deal. And they're panicking morally. Morally. About that. <laughs> um, In groups. Let's finish it then. Let's finish it, alright. Bye. Bye. Oh, d- Sayonara. Very good. Or matane. matane. Is there a white. shorter one for that? For sign uh, matane. Matane. But is there one shorter? Like, just bye kind of thing. Uh, bye bye. Well, can't they just shorten that to bye? <laughs> <laughs>